Amen. Thank you. A time to possess. Amen. We had a great time in the first service at 8 o'clock with the young people mainly. And I hope those standing will not become Uticas. It is time to possess. While we understand that God dwells in eternity, he rules over time and seasons. Times and seasons are in his hands. Jesus castigated the Jews of his time and told them that they did not know the time of their visitation. And for each one of us, there is an opportune time that if you miss it, you miss your own destiny and the purpose for which God called you. You know, you talk to people and how they, they just got in place in God's time and for God's purpose, you'd be surprised. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 to 8 talks about to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And in Kenya, we have seasons. We may not have winters and autumn but we have rainy season dry season the seasons of the year we have the plowing season the planting season the weeding season and the harvest and so it is even for all of us that God has seasons and times for us that if we miss God's season and God's time for his plan for your life, we have missed our purpose of existence. Now, to realize how important that God in Jesus regards the times that he has given us, Jesus calls himself the Alpha and Omega. But he doesn't stop there, except for the NIV that stops there. In Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. He goes on to say that he is also the beginning and the ending. Now most of us well understand how Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. The Alpha is the first letter of the alphabet and the Omega is the last letter of the alphabet and in between, you have Jesus. The beginning from the Alpha and Omega also represented all the letters in between. And we know Jesus as the Word of God. Because words are formulated by letters put together. Words are made up of letters. And Jesus is saying in effect, that he is the word. In Christmas we celebrate the word becoming flesh. That's what we call incarnation. The word became flesh. Jesus, the alpha and omega, the word became flesh. Now, to understand the significance of letters and numbers, we read, I read to you from a Hebrew rabbi 
who wrote this. It's called Michael Mank. He says, The 22 sacred letters that form the Hebrew alphabet are profound, primal, spiritual forces. They are in effect the raw materials of creation. When God combined them into words, phrases, and commands, they brought about creation. That's powerful. When God combined the letters, the alpha and the omega, and put them into words, phrases, and commands, they brought about creation. Translating his will into reality. Just as the word of God gave being into the heavens and creation, so it is the word that gives being to everything. Jesus, the word, gives being to everything. Now, besides Jesus being the word that gives creation and being to everything, the Bible says he claimed to be the beginning and the ending. And when you talk about the beginning and ending, you are talking about time and space. Time. Jesus called himself time. The beginning and the end. Jesus is both the word and the time. All times and seasons that we have revolve around Jesus. We use the calendar called the Gregorian calendar because Pope Gregory is the one who put it into, into place. And so this year, 2007, becomes the year of our Lord, 2007. Now it is seven because it is a type of a Sabbath rest. The Sabbath type of a year. Falling on 21st century. Now the way the configurations of these times and seasons that we live in, especially this year, has prophetic significance that you have to dig out and find out in the Bible what is the significance of the number seven. Now it is the seventh year of 21st century now, 21st century is three times seven. So, which means that this century is seven, 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 seven throughout. Now, in case you are puzzled to find out the seasons we are living in, it is also the seventh millennia. It's the seventh year of the seventh millennia. What do we mean by that? The calendar that we use. 
deaths backwards before the birth of Christ and forward after the birth of Christ. All right? Before the birth of Christ, between the, birth, the creation of Adam to the birth of Christ, we have, according to the Gregorian dating, we have 4,000 years, counting backwards before the birth of Jesus. After the birth of Jesus, from the birth of Jesus to the year 2000, we have 2,000 years. Total, 6,000 years. Now they ended when we started 2001 and 2. Now we are in the seventh year of the seventh millennia. If you didn't know. Now, when Jesus claimed to be the beginning and the end, not many people realize what Jesus was talking about. Until today, you see all times and seasons revolve around Jesus. The year of our Lord, 2007. The whole world whether they like it or not, live within the times and season, the alpha and omega of Jesus. Your life begins and ends in Jesus, whether you are Christian or not. You know, some people have tried to erase that, the year of our Lord, AD or BC, they, 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 they reckon that is offensive to their religion and they now start to say, why don't we just call it common error? They are still saying 2007, but they don't want to say the year of our Lord or where do we begin to reckon with it. They want us to just call it common error. And it becomes, as Brother Ginda say, a very common error. <laughs> becomes a common mistake. So, whoever you are, whether you plan to, to, to do great things, whether you plan to celebrate your birthday, whatever you are planning, you will plan it within. The year of our Lord. Who is the beginning and the ending. Now we have not grasped the importance of, of Jesus being also the time. We preach a lot about Jesus being the, the word. I want us to understand that Jesus is also the time. You are 30, 40, 60, 70 years within, within Jesus. Outside of that, you'll have no years. You'll have to formulate your own. And so everything begins and ends in him. Now, what about seven? What's so significant about seven? 
Now, I have seven points that will go to emphasize the seven that we are talking about. The Sabbath year of the Lord. Number one, the realization of completeness. The realization of completeness. I've tried to simplify it for you because it's seven hours. Number one, realization of completeness. Number two, the rest for the people of God. Number three, restoration. You restored all your debts. Number four, release. You are released. All your land was restored. In this one, release. You are released from all your debts. Number five, repossession. People went back to their lands to repossess what they had lost. Revelation. Jesus revealed himself on the Sabbath day. That's when he gave his job description. And number, number seven, renewal of all things. We go to Revelation and discover that. Let's go stage by stage. The Sabbath year is divinely ordained to be a year of rest and restoration. Now, to help us understand this, there are three key features that dominate God's prophetic agenda for Sabbath. Seven. Whether it will be seventh day, seventh hour, seventh year, seventh millennium, this is a very prophetic agenda in God's calendar that you cannot ignore as a student of the Bible. Number seven follows a divinely ordained pattern. And if you are to make any doctrine out of number seven, you have to look at the pattern that recurs over and over again in the Bible. Seven follows a divinely ordained purpose for man's cycle of completeness. God directed that after every six days, the seventh day must be a day of rest. The pulse, God's pulse, revolves around seven. After every seven, you know, there is rest, there is renewal, there is rejuvenation. And so, if you get an employer who employs you beyond seven days non-stop, that employer becomes oppressive. And so God has instituted in us, in the whole world, a pattern or a system, a pulse, that the whole world just pulses with seven and seven and seven, weekly, weekly. And it's not just weekly, you'll realize that it's monthly and it's also yearly and it's even millennium-wise. And then it follows a divine economic justice based on release and restoration. Releasing of debts and restoring people to their previous status, previous possessions, previous lands. So your restoration and rest on the Sabbath year will only be realized as you adopt God's pattern as stipulated in his word so that 
if you want to benefit from Sabbath year, if you want to benefit from this seventh year of the seventh millennium, you have to synchronize your season with God's calendar. Because God has his calendar of activities, his season. And if you miss to synchronize your season with God's calendar, you miss God's opportune time for you. You miss God's opportune blessing for your season, for your time, for your calendar. Now, the, what, having said so much, what is the significance of the mystery behind the number seven? And I would say number seven would have no significance at all. It would be like any other number unless God himself had given it significance. Unless God had picked it out by himself to give it significance, we would not be talking about number seven today. It would be just be a hypothetical dialogue. It is the most dominant number in the first and last books of the Bible. In Genesis and in Revelation, if you find it difficult to read Revelation, just separate the sevens that you find in there and find the pattern from the Old Testament and it will give you some sense. You'll understand why there are so many sevens. Seven churches, seven letters, seven lampsticks, seven bowls, seven, all sevens. Full of it. Now, in Genesis is a pattern of historical events that give us significance for number seven. And for Revelation, is the future events that will occur in the book of Revelation that give us hope to understand the seasons, to understand God's dealing in the history of man and his pattern for our lives. This number seven was divinely ordained. It receives the seal of God. It's God. Now, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3 says, And on the seventh day, God rested. Rather, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day. Who picked the seventh day? God. What did he do with it? He blessed it. And sanctified it. He did not just bless it. He blessed it and sanctified it. Or set it apart. It became sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. So the seventh day, the Sabbath, 
My first R is the realization of completeness. God, seven, is the number of completion. God completed his work, finished his work, and rested. The circle of completeness. In seven years, in seven, the seventh day, God rested from his work. And so he talks about completeness. He completed his work. And then a time of rest. The second hour. God rested from his work. A time of rest. Number three, a time of blessing. God blessed the seventh day. And so if you are to realize the blessings of the seventh day, you do what God required of it. You rest on the seventh day. Most of us are guilty of breaking the seventh day rest. Instead of resting, that's when we do most work. Because we are, our employer has given us an extra day. And instead of resting and helping our bodies to recuperate, we find ourselves stressful. We find ourselves being oppressed and depressed. Why? Because we are disobeying God's command for the seventh day rest and we are reaping the consequences that come with the disobedience. If we are to benefit from the blessing of the seventh day, we have to obey God and rest. Now that's to say, what you normally do, you rest from it. You rest. And that's when people go washing their clothes. That's when people go uh, doing all kinds of things, digging. Now the Seventh-day Adventist church ashamed us. Because we break that law and no wonder there are so many depressed people. So many people who, you know, come Monday they are still very tired. And they are looking for the next Sabbath rest. It comes and it's as if they have not rested. And then God blessed it. God then sanctified it. Sanctified it. Now, we look at the scripture now and look at the events in scripture which happened either on the seventh hour, the seventh day, the seventh week, the seventh month, the seventh year, or any multiples of seven. And that will give us some deep insight into God's prophetic agenda for seven, 2007. For us to benefit from it. Let's begin. We have seen that it's God who picked the number seven, not me. He picked it. He blessed it. He sanctified it. He hallowed it. And he told us, your pattern will revolve around the number seven. To remind you that this is a holy convocation to the Lord. 
And then we come to the seventh generation in Genesis chapter 5. A man who fell, who happened to be born and live in the seventh generation. This is a man called Enoch. The Bible says Enoch was righteous before God. And when it came to the end of his life, even before his life, you realize that he is the only man in his generation who lived the least. Because God took him. And the Bible only says, and Enoch was not because God took him. The first man on planet earth to rapture was Enoch. He happened to fall on the holy, the sanctified generation number seven. He happened to fall on number seven. And he was not because God took him. He was the most blessed man. The second thing we read there uh, we, in Genesis is the number of the covenant. As a remembrance, or as a remembrance of the covenant between God and man. This is the first time we see God making a covenant with man. That he would not destroy the earth anymore. He would not destroy mankind again with a flood. Now in Noah's flood, which is found from chapter 7 to chapter 9 of Genesis, there they, they are several occurrences of the number 7. Why? It is God's number. God told Noah to put seven of every clean animal in the ark to save them. A number of restoration to save and also renewal so that later on they would re renew themselves and re re restore the, the population. He also told them to store seven of every bird male and female, seven pairs of each. Why seven? Only God who directed knows why seven. But since he has told us, because seven is a number of renewal, restoration, and rest, they had to repopulate the earth with those numbers. And after the flood, the rainbow appeared as a sign of the covenant that God will never again. And so he put in the, in the sky the sign of the rainbow. The number seven associated with the rainbow because the rainbow has how many colors? Seven. Why seven colors of the rainbow? As a covenant sign. Because God was saying he is, is not going to destroy man once more with the flood. With the flood. And he gives the sign of the covenant as the rainbow with seven colors on it. And when you see the rainbow, it's a reminder, it's a covenant. The first covenant between God and man that he would not destroy man with the flood again.
And then we see number seven as a time of completion of contracts, service contracts. When Jacob ran to his uncle Laban, he was of age. Of course, when he went there, he was 40. And his years were going. He was a senior bachelor. He got there and, and, and saw a good candidate for a wife. He didn't have money. All he had was himself. Human resource. And when Laban, the uncle, asked now, what will you do? He said, I will serve you for how many years? Why seven? I will serve you for seven years for Rachel. And he went ahead. He served Laban for seven years. When the years were over, he came to Laban and said, Laban, I want my wife now. Now, he used very crude words that if I used, my, my father-in-law would chase me. He said, I want my wife that I might go into her. You know, if you say like that to your father-in-law, he will chase you. <laughs> he was shortchanged and was given Leah. He was so furious that he went back and said, what is this you have done to me? And instead of the father cutting short the years, he says, you serve me for another? Why seven? The year of completion for service contracts. Service contracts were over. You have to restore, you have to release what, what the years have. So those were the completion of service contracts. Um, and then the farming. You remember the children of Israel when they, when they ran away from Israel uh, or the Canaan land into Egypt because the farming was severe for how long? Seven years. Why seven years? Meanwhile, there was plenty in Egypt for how long? Patterns of seven and seven. Why seven? You realize that if we go by God's pattern of what he assigned the number seven for, the year of restoration, the year of release, the year of completion, God has a pattern for seven. Now, going very quickly. The seventh year is the year of release. We've said the real, year of re realization, the year of rest, the year of release. Release from what? From debts. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 1 to 2 says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. You know, you can go into cycles of debts and debts and, until you are auctioned. But there was a gone system of release whereby you, you are insured from auctioneers. If you owed anybody, they, they would release the debts on the seventh year. 
And if you realize the importance of 2007, if you are a child of God and you have come into that rest, it's time to say, Lord, I am claiming my release from debts, from debtors. If you are a bachelor, you, you will say, Laban, release my wife. If you are a spinister, you don't go into the, uh, to marry the Egyptians. You say, God, release my husband. I've labored for seven years. It's time for my release. If you are in debt, you have to apply God's seasoning, God's season, with, with the word to benefit from it. You have, to, you have to determine that this seven years did not come by accident. In fact, we are, if we are to prophetically configure how we have come to live on the seventh millennium of the seventh year of 21st century, everything revolving around seven would ask God, God, what are you saying? And you'll discover that God has something in this year for this generation that he would want you to see you are living in a special calendar of God's season. And you have to grasp it. Seven is the year that speaks of the end of bondage and the beginning of the cycle of freedom. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 12. It says, if your brother, Deuteronomy 15, verse 12, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. You shall let him go free from you. The seventh year, Speaks of the year of release from bondage. You will let him go free. Don't be enslaved this year. This year, the year of your possession. Possess your possession. You shall let him go free. Release from bondage. The seventh year is a time of possession. Leviticus 25. Verse 18, verse 8 to 10. I think I'll read that one. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8 to 10. This is what it says. And you shall count seven Sabbaths. Anything that has to do with seven, or multiples of seven, seven Sabbaths of the years for yourself. Seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of the years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On that day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Seven times seven shall be a jubilee for, for you. And each of you shall return to his possession 
and each of you shall return to his family. If it is the year of possession, each of you shall return to his family. Each of you shall return to his possession. <laughs> Their family is being disintegrating. This year claimed the, the, the release, the year of the jubilee. Claim that I'm going to have my family. Claim that I'm going to have my possession. Maybe it was auction. Maybe it is the title deed has been stolen. Maybe the title deed is mortgaged. <laughs> You're going to possess your possession. If you claim it. And know that God is desirous to do that. Now, from what happens... In the Old Testament gives us hope that indeed what God has said will come to pass. The seventh king in the tribe of Judah, the seventh king, we look at what happens to kings and what happens to the seventh year, to what happens to the seventh generation, to what happens to the seventh king. The seventh king of Judah happened to be a man called Jehoshaphat. The Lord is my judge. And in Second Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 3 to 5 says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals but sought the God of his father and walked in the commandments of his walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom on his, in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance. Chapter 20 verse 30 says, Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave rest from his enemies all around. Because Jehoshaphat was the seventh, he happened to fall on the seventh king of Judah, the royal line. The Bible says that God gave him rest because the seventh is the year of rest. God gave him rest from all his enemies all around. If you appropriate the seventh year of the seventh millennium, God is going to give you rest from all your enemies all around. And he's going to restore what the Kankawam has taken. I know for a church last year was a terrible year. It was a year number six, the year of man. We were bombed, we were threatened, it was a terrible year. But this year we are claiming rest from all our enemies all around. Rest from burglaries, from insecurity. Rest from all these things that, has been, that have been buffeting us. We have to claim that rest from God. And the same pattern is found in the New Testament. So rest, restoration, release from death, and repossession. 
repossession of what has been stolen from us. We come to the New Testament and we find revelation. Revelation from Jesus. Jesus revealed himself on the Sabbath day. He went to the synagogue and they handed him on the scroll of Isaiah and he opened and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do what? He has anointed me. To do what? To preach the good news to the captives. The, the release. To grant the release of the captives and all that. We read that. He was giving his job description. He inaugurated his mission on the Sabbath day. He stood in the synagogue on the Sabbath and proclaimed to one and all what he had come to do. His job description on the Sabbath day. Now, and then he went on to exactly do that. Jesus did seven great miracles on the Sabbath day. That's a sermon for another day. Seven great miracles on the Sabbath. Why seven and why on the Sabbath? Because Jesus claimed that he came to release the captives. And the release comes when? On the Sabbath day. When all deaths are released. When people are released from bondage and enslavement. If you had a slave, you released them. And so in doing those miracles, they were very significant on the Sabbath because for each of them, he was prophetically releasing the blessings that come with the seventh, seventh day or the Sabbath. For example, very quickly, in Luke chapter 13 and verse 10 to 17, there was this lady who had an infirmity and was bound for 18 years. And Jesus uh, looked around and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were ready to pounce on him while he was healing on the Sabbath day. And he said this, This woman, son of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, whom Satan has bound, for all these 18 years, be loosed from her bones when? On the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath is a time of release. Jesus did those miracles symbolically to show that the Sabbath had come. And the Sabbath was a time for release. And so as we come to the Sabbath year, the seventh year of the seventh millennium of the 21st century. Jesus says, we enter into our rest. We enter into our possession. And that possession, as we rehearse, is a rehearsal. And a rehearsal is in a sense a reality of the things to come is a rehearsal of the great seventh day rest for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 4. You read from verse 1. We won't read it now. We are rehearsing the blessings 
that will come on the seventh day rest for the people of God. And that's found in Revelation. That's where we have renewal of all things. My final seventh hour. We have renewal when we shall have the Sabbath day rest for the people of God. What we experience here right now, God would want us to rehearse the blessings of the seventh, the blessings of the Sabbath. What comes, that's why every seventh day we have to rest as a reminder of the great seventh day that is coming for the people of God. And who enters that is people who have ceased from their work. Let me read that and we shall be through. I'm reading from Hebrews. I thought I would skip it, but let me just point it to you to wind up and wrap up this whole lesson of the significance of the year that the season that we are in is a season for claiming the dress, the Sabbath blessings for each one of you. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Hebrews. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they had did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who had it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, I saw in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in a, a certain place that they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works, as God did from his. 11. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. God would want us to enter our rest. Enter our possession. Enter our release. And if we are to see the benefits of 2007, we are to sanctify the Sabbath. We are to keep it holy. We are to see to it, Lord, I've entered the blessings of the seven days. Shall we start? Shall we start? Time is gone. I want to pray for those who have not acknowledged Jesus as their the ending, the beginning and the ending, as the Lord of their years. They write about the year every day. They celebrate their birthdays, but they don't realize that it is within the year of our Lord. And you have not surrendered to the Lord. As we pray, and there are those who have to claim, appropriate the word to the seventh year. Appropriate your situation to the rest, to the Sabbath. 
it is not for nothing that we we of all generations have fallen into this year of the Lord. It's significant. I'm so passionate about what will happen this year. But for me and this church, and if you haven't realized it, I want you to claim it yourself. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that of all generations you have brought us to this year of release. The year of perfection. The year of completion. The year of, of, of God's blessing. Of jubilee. Hallelujah. The year of release from our debts. The year of release from our bondage. The bondage of sicknesses. The bondage which the enemy has bound us. Lord, would this daughter of Abraham, whom the devil has bound for 18 years, would not have been loosed on the Sabbath? Lord, we are claiming our release on the Sabbath. We are claiming our healing on the Sabbath. We are claiming our possessions on the Sabbath. Lord, we shall not let this year go. Lord, you will act according to your word, according to your promise, according to your blessing for the seventh year. Lord, we are claiming it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Almighty Father. There are those who, who haven't come into the liberty of the seventh year because they are living outside of the Lord's rest. They are living outside of the Lord's calendar. I pray that they will come and align their years into the purpose of God. That they may experience that blessing in Jesus' name. If you are not born again, you haven't aligned your times and your season with the times and season of Christ. As others go out, please come to this room here. We're going to pray for you. That your times and season may be aligned with God's calendar. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the year of our Lord. The year of release, of restoration, of renewal, of repossession. Oh, let's take advantage of it in the name of the Lord. Let us close this service as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word that has come out so very clearly. We align ourselves right now with your timing. And we pray, Father, that you will find us at the right place. And that, Lord, your hand of blessing will be upon every one of us. As we trust you, God, for a change of direction. As we trust you, Lord, for the opening of the windows of heaven. As we trust you, God, for the release of your power. As we trust you, Lord, for reclaiming that which was lost. We know that you are doing a new work in our lives, oh God. And this is the year we are going to see you do a new work in our lives. And so as we go out, Lord, we pray that you would go with us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Let me ask all of you who are uh, down here, please use the back door so that the people upstairs can use the side doors. Ashes, please allow the people downstairs, upstairs to also use the side doors. All of you who are down, please use the back doors. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful week. <laughs>